0: For a number of weeks, I've been thinking on and off of uh, returning to our our series on uh, Satan and his devices, which comes from a, a verse in Second Corinthians chapter two. There's a, a reference to Satan and Christians there in Corinth. Second Corinthians two. might read 10 and 11, 2 Corinthians 2, verse 10 says, Now whom you forgive anything I also forgive, for if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one. And they're speaking about somebody who had been disciplined in the church at Corinth. And um, he says... If indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ, lest Satan should take advantage of us for we are not ignorant of his devices or of his tricks. We actually uh, taught on what was going on here and what those devices might be in this case where forgiveness... um, should be given to this person who was restored after a a case of um, discipline in their congregation. Today, I'm going to talk about um, unintended or unanticipated emotional snares. Um, A snare being a a trap that's laid for a bird. Um, Unintended emotional snares, go to Numbers, I'm going to do a a little bit of summary from Numbers 15 and then uh, spend a little bit more time, I'm going to read all of Numbers 16 to you. And uh, as I usually do at at every new year, I, I just kind of put my Bible back to Genesis and start Reading again, and, and as I was reading through this section a few days ago, I thought, "Wow, this is really quite a quite a chapter of scripture." I wanted to spend some time thinking about this with you. Um, however, in order for number 16 to to really um, connect and, and and kind of pull out of you. Um, just a little bit more understanding. I wanted to do a brief summary of Numbers chapter 15 here um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Exodus, the, the people, the Hebrews in Egypt have left uh, their slavery. In Egypt, they had lived there for 400 years plus a long time, where the Hebrews lived in Egypt, and and after they left, they were given the, the Ten Commandments, which you might remember, are in Exodus chapter 20. They're given the commandments, and then um, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy are all explaining different aspects of of how the Hebrews are going to maintain their holiness, how they're going to be faithful before God, um, what he expects of them in the world out of Egypt. So Numbers uh, chapter 15 begins by just describing um, how you would make an offering, a a general offering. It's a very basic description about uh, burnt offerings, sacked Sacrifice offering, which is a different thing, uh, an offering that would accompany a vow. He discusses in chapter fifteen there a free will offering, a peace offering, and. One of, this is a very short rabbit trail. He says, Whether it's for you Hebrews or for the strangers among you. I love how these types of uh, instructions are not only for the Hebrews, but throughout the, 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 the course of history for the Hebrews. If, if somebody wanted to join them and, and have God be their God and, and be bound to this people who are God's people, they could... And in a way, that's what you and I are. We have also uh, been made the the people of God by this gracious offering of His uh, really open door for for strangers to be brought in and, and made one in Christ. So, it's about offerings. And then from verses 22 to 29, He says, This is the kind of offering that you must bring for unintentional sins unintentional sins whether as an individual or as the whole congregation. An unintentional sin is something that needs to have a sacrifice brought to God for. And so there's a little bit of instruction about that there. And then verses 30 and 31 are instructions for a presumptuous sin. You knew what you were doing when you sinned, when you offended God. So that kind of sin is addressed there in verses 30 and 31. And then there's this very interesting incident there in verses 32 to 36 in this chapter where the people, some people, some Hebrew people found a man, a Jewish man, gathering sticks on the Sabbath. It doesn't go into any detail whatsoever. It just says they found this man gathering sticks on the Sabbath. And they had just been told that there's to be no work done on the Sabbath. And so they found this person doing what most of them felt had been something God prohibited them to do on the Sabbath. So they, they they arrested him in a manner of speaking and they spoke with Moses. What should we do? We found this man doing this and we know we, we, we have just been prohibited from doing this. And so they they, they sought the Lord and they, they asked what they would do and they were told they needed to put this man to death. They, they took him outside the camp and they, they put him to death. And this, in a sense, is the beginning of the problems in number 16. And I'm going to give you a spoiler alert here. It's the beginning of your problem too. We're going to talk about our problems in some depth today. Remember the subject I was uh, introducing you to when we just started was the unintended emotional snares that come and grab us in our lives. And that's going to take on some more meaning as we ponder this incident here in Numbers 15 and 16. The Hebrews had to take this man out of the camp and put him to death. Then, finally... In verses 38 to 40, there's a little bit more instruction of 15. Numbers 15, 38 to 40. There was this little uh, reminder that the Hebrews were told to follow. It said, put some tassels on the corners of your garments and put a blue thread in those tassels that are on your clothes. And this is to remind you, you Hebrews remember my commandments. You keep my commandments, and these things on your clothing. This thing is going to remind you to do that. There is a very quick overview of Numbers 15, and now at number 16, follow along with me here, and I'm going to. Um, this is quite a, quite a, quite a chapter here. Let's uh, let's just read through this, and then I'll, I'll guide you through how I I think the Lord is going to teach us some really important lessons here. Chapter 16, verse 1. Korah, the son of Izar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abiram, sons of Elia, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation. Representatives of the congregation Men of renown, they gathered together against Moses and Aaron, and said to them, You take too much on yourselves, for all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? So when Moses heard it, He fell on his face and he spoke to Korah and all his company saying, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy and will cause him to come near him. That one whom he chooses, he will cause to come near to him. Do this. Take censers, Korah, and all your company. Put fire in them. Put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow and it shall be. The man whom the Lord chooses is the holy one. You take too much upon yourselves, you sons of Levi. Then Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi, is it a small thing to you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do the work of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to serve them and that he has brought you near to himself? You and all your brethren, the sons of Levi, with you? And are you seeking the priesthood also? Therefore, you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. And what is Aaron that you complain against him? And Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab. But they said, We will not come up. Is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness, that you should keep acting like a prince over us? Moreover, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. Then Moses was very angry and said to the Lord, Do not respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them, nor have I hurt one of them. And Moses said to Korah, Tomorrow you and all your company be present before the Lord. You and they, as well as Aaron, let each take his censer and put incense in it. And each of you bring a censer before the Lord, 250 censers, both you and Aaron, each with his censer. So every man took a censer, put fire in it, laid incense on it, and stood at the door of the tabernacle of meeting with Moses and Aaron. And Korah gathered all the congregation against them at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin and you be angry with all the congregation? So the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the congregation, saying, Get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation, saying, Depart now from the tents of these wicked men. Touch nothing of theirs, lest you be consumed in all their sins. So they got away from around the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of the tents with their wives, their sons, and their little children. And Moses said, By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of my own will." If these men die naturally like all men, or if they are visited by the common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates a new thing and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into the pit, then you will understand that these men have rejected the Lord. Now it came to pass as he finished speaking All these words that the ground split apart under them and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up and their households and all the men with Korah with all their goods. So they and all those with them went down alive into the pit. The earth closed over them and they perished from among the assembly. Then all Israel who were around them fled at their cry for they said, lest the earth swallow us up also. And a fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering incense. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, pick up the censers out of the blaze, for they are holy, and scatter the fire some distance away. The censers of these men who sinned against their own souls let them be made into hammered plates as a covering for the altar, because they presented them before the Lord. Therefore they are holy, and they shall be assigned to the children of Israel. So Eleazar the priest took the bronze censers which those who were burned up had presented, and they were hammered out as a covering on the altar, to be a memorial to the children of Israel, that no outsider who is not a descendant of Aaron, should come near to offer incense before the Lord, that he might not become like Korah and his companions, just as the Lord had said to him through Moses. I'm going to read just one more verse. It says, On the next day all the congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, saying, You have killed the people of the Lord. Now, this is, uh, this is quite a story. There's two major themes that I want to uh, show you and teach you here. So one are we're going to do next week. And uh, maybe you'll think that's the best part. But I think there's some great, great insights that we need to learn in this passage here um, that we have this week for us here. Let me give you some uh, overview of some things I want to make sure that you saw and some things that, that, to make sure that you understand before we dive much more deeply into this. In Leviticus chapter 10, there were two other sons, um, Nadab and Abihu. These were sons of Aaron. Aaron is the priest. Aaron is the brother of Moses and Aaron had four children. But back in the book of Leviticus, two of these sons had kind of volunteered to serve the Lord in a, in a way they, they kind of got ahead of themselves. They just decided, we think the Lord will like this and approve of this. And they brought what was called strange fire before the Lord in, in these censers. And the censer is like a little bronze pot that has the the coals from the altar and the incense in it and the pot is presented before the Lord and it's smoke. Um, eventually we learn in the scriptures are uh, to indicate that the prayers of the saints, for example. These men decided to worship the Lord in their own way with these censers and those two men were killed. Those two sons of Aaron were killed because... You can't go to the Lord how you want to go to the Lord. This is one of the great lessons that says "Always to God are, are right ways to God. The Bible's full of examples like that that say when we carve our own way to Him, we are facing death. Just like Cain bringing the offering that, that he made his own way and his own offering to the Lord. The Lord said, what you brought isn't right the Lord said to Cain, bring what's right and you will be accepted. But Cain was offended and angry at this. So these two sons of Aaron died and had two more sons. Aaron's two other sons took his place. And those sons are Eleazar. And we we heard uh, his name mentioned. The other one is Ithamar. And these guys are still alive. And they are priests in the place of the two deceased Sons. Now, here's where the story gets a little bit interesting. And this is where the Lord gives us a little bit of insights into our own hearts, and our own ways. Korah is, is a cousin with Moses and Aaron. Korah, the leader of this problem that we just read about, Korah has a father who is brothers with Moses and Aaron's father. So these guys are cousins. So if you live in a town, I never had this when I was a kid. I didn't have lots of relatives, but in in big families in small towns, it's it's often that 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 this guy is cousins with that guy, and sometimes they're buddies, but sometimes they hate each other because this dad and that dad were were in a feud of some kind. In this particular case, Cora Cora's got a little bit of a an ongoing resistance and complaint against Moses and Aaron. Why? Well, obviously... Okay, this is is speculation. What I want you to do is to start trying to imagine why Korah's response is what it is in chapter 16. Korah is the head of the rebellion in Numbers chapter 16. Well, some weeks earlier... Aaron's sons were killed for being bad priests. Those two men brought strange fire before the Lord. And they appointed the other two. It's possible, again, hear hear me speculate, and I'm going to flesh this out more as we go through this. It's possible, Korah thought, why wouldn't you just make me a priest? Why wouldn't... Obviously, your family are bad priests, Aaron. Or they wouldn't have done this thing of bringing strange fire before you. Or maybe it was simply like, well, those guys always do stuff like that. Aaron and, and, and his family, they're just like that. So there's there's Korah. He's made an observation. Korah's in this other part of the family, cousins with, with Moses and Aaron. Aaron. So this closeness of them, the closeness of Korah, Moses, Aaron, in that familial way could be the basis by which Korah begins to feel like, things haven't turned out for me quite the way I think they should have. I think things could have been a little bit differently for me and my family. Now he is a Levite. They are in the tribe of Levi, and he's actually been given some great duties in service to the tabernacle and of the Lord. Korah isn't like uh, any of the other tribes who don't have this kind of... They have their own special inheritance as, as Levites because they serve the Lord in the tabernacle. But Korah's, Korah's uh, attitude is obviously very sour here at... Um, Chapter 16, look at verse 3. Chapter 16, verse 3. See if we hear a little bit of of what's going on in Korah's mind and heart. Verse 3 says, They gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You take too much upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy. What did he mean by that? Holiness has to do with the unique office of Aaron and Moses. Aaron and Moses are called... At at, at one point, Moses does not want the job of being the one to speak to Israel. He says, God, I I don't know how to speak. I don't want to talk to them. And God says, I will put the words in your mouth and you will be as God to Aaron and Aaron will speak to the people of Israel. Okay? So Moses is a prophet. Moses opens his mouth with the words of God, with the authority of God. Aaron speaks those words to the tribe. <clears throat> when Korah says, look at what it said in verse 3 there again. They gathered together against Moses, and Aaron said to them, You take too much upon yourselves. All the congregation is holy. Every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? you hear his bitterness begin to say, you know, you guys aren't all that. You, you guys aren't great. You guys are just like us. We're all holy people. God has saved us all. He's He's rescued us all. You see this attitude in Korah in his beginning to express his complaint against Moses and Aaron. Now, here's where I'm going to begin challenging you to think a little bit about Satan and Satan's devices, Satan's snares. Remember in Genesis chapter three, the words to Eve. <coughs> God knows, in, or God spoke words to Eve, and then Eve's recollecting on them. Eve's thinking on the words in Genesis three five. Here's what. Satan says to her. Satan says, God knows in the day you eat of that fruit that you are not allowed to eat. God says, when you eat of that fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, how did Eve hear those words? Eve's heart was actually drawn to those words. Eve heard these words saying, yeah, on, on the day when I eat that fruit, I am going to be a more intelligent person. I'm going to be a stronger person. I'm going to be a a higher person, a person of better status and understanding. And interestingly, this appealed to Eve before the fall of man. There was something in those words that didn't repulse Eve. It actually sounded interesting to her. Why? And why would the same, similar sort of suggestions be interesting to you? Why can you be drawn into a suggestion like this? And I'm going to mention a few more here over the next couple minutes. She was actually hearing an advantage that would be hers by proceeding in a way that Satan was explaining to her. This appealed to her. All Satan had to do was suggest it. And she was like, hmm, yeah, that might be good. I could see how that would be an advantage for me. Does your mind and heart ever entertain for a moment the extra dignity that would be yours? If such and such took place, if your status were to change, if you had a different kind of job, does your mind and your heart ever imagine for a moment a changed circumstance, a changed situation, a changed opportunity, and you begin to entertain, maybe just for a moment, and this is the weird thing about our minds, you can you can think all of what I just said in like half of a second. These things can come into your mind for a moment and 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 make themselves known to you, and you might think about that for a second and say, "Oh, well, that's stupid. That's you know, not what's happening. That's not my circumstance. That's not what life is for me right now. Do you sometimes ever imagine the, the, the dignity that you deserve that you are not getting out of life? Do you ever imagine, like, people just don't uh, acknowledge or... Or see me for the talent and the dignity that I have. Even if your own humility and and, and some of us maybe if we have a thought like that, our humility kind of jumps to the front of our thought for a moment and says, Don't think like that, you stupid idiot. Don't don't be so proud. Don't be, you know, so presumptuous. We'll we'll have a counter thought, kinda arguing with ourselves in that other half of a second, and then we're moving on to something else in our lives your humility might call it down really quickly but isn't it interesting that it's there it's there these these moments will sometimes just kind of suggest themselves in our hearts of how much better i might be at that than they are how much better my situation will be. We find these little things going on in our hearts and our minds. It's there. There's a seed of this thing in our minds and our hearts by your very nature. It's called the sin nature. And it's there. It's in us. So, this moment in time here that we're reading here in uh, Numbers 16, it's showing this something like this emotion at work in Korah. We don't know what exactly it was that set off Korah opposed to Moses and Aaron. The scripture's quiet on it. But I hope that by seeing the the relation, the familial relation between him and Moses and Aaron and some of his circumstance, it's possible for you and I to imagine that there's some kind of resentment going on in Korah's heart. Some kind of maybe ambition. in in, in Korah's heart. We just don't know. In contrast to Moses, Korah, in contrast to Moses, in Numbers 12, verse 3, it says, Moses is the most humble man who ever lived. Now, this might be helpful to some of you who are not maybe really relating to Korah. Korah is a little bit of the ambitious guy. Korah is the one who's like shouting down Moses and Aaron. Now, Moses is kind of on the other end of the spectrum. Moses is a guy who, the scripture says, was the most humble guy there was. In other words, when was Moses ever dreaming about being the priest? He wasn't. Why? Maybe he wasn't a very ambitious guy. Maybe it just wasn't in him to start thinking about how great he might be and, and what he might do and what he might accomplish. What, what kind of temptations go to work on Moses' heart? Now, think about this with me. This is so interesting. Maybe sometimes Moses wished, and I think this is very likely, because we hear him saying things like this in Exodus and in Numbers. Maybe sometimes Moses wishes he was not Moses. I've got to lead all these people around the desert. They're always complaining and I I can't satisfy, I can't do what God has asked me to do is the feeling that is on Moses' heart often. So sometimes Moses' wish is, I wish I was a nobody. I wish I had no responsibilities. Maybe Moses, maybe his task's Sometimes were so hard, he just didn't know how to do them. Lord, how can I feed all these people you have brought me out in the wilderness to lead? Where will I get water for them? How do I solve their problems? Moses has a very interesting, challenging life. When when he lived in the desert, before God called him to come and help the Hebrews leave their slavery. When when he lived there in the desert, maybe life was kind of easy there and quiet. Maybe that's the way he liked it. Maybe he sat out there in front. You know how many people he led? You know how many men there were that they led out of the, the nation of Egypt? There's millions of people they led out of Egypt. Maybe on the third or fourth day of that, Moses thought, Wow, when I was out there in the desert with my sheep, And my wife and my kids. Life is good. This is crazy in comparison. Maybe he was the kind of guy who would have preferred that. How did God help Moses take on the thing that he was called to do? What did Moses learn to do? Moses learned to call on the Lord. Moses learned to walk by faith. Moses learned to take on... the the huge challenges before him and trust the Lord for them. He would do them, even in the face of uh, people complaining with him. Moses learned how to meet these challenges by faith. Look at verse 14. Chapter 16 and verse 14. Here's another picture of, of what Korah thinks about Moses and Aaron. He says, Moreover, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey. What is Korah accusing Moses of? You lied to us when we left Egypt. We were supposedly going to some great place. You haven't brought us there, you liar. Moses goes on to say, Neither have you given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. You lied to us. We don't have anything that you said we would have. Now listen to this next line here. This is very insightful. He says, will you put out the eyes of these men? You just asked for, a, 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 I think it was a Byram and Dathan. Will you put out their eyes? Where does that come from? What's going on in Korah's mind? You guys just killed that guy the other day for picking up sticks on the Sabbath. He's going to put out these guys' eyes for what we're doing today. You see how he's starting to kind of ratchet up the sarcasm a little bit? He's indignant. He's mad because Moses and Aaron are obeying the Lord. And they think it's too much. You, you, You guys literally think you're just going to kill people and do whatever you want? obeying the Lord. What's going on in Korah's mind? I wonder if Korah thinks he would be a better priest, a more merciful priest. A little bit easier on the Hebrews. Something's going on in his mind. He's feeling very, very strongly about this. How had Korah's heart departed from simple fear and belief? How had Korah's heart departed from that? You know, if we asked Korah three days before this, how do you know Moses is the prophet? How do you know Aaron is the priest? What would Korah tell us? Well, he would tell us all the history of how God had called Moses out of the wilderness. He would know all of those things. How is he now... Unable to simply fear and obey the Lord. What happened to him? And this is where I'm I'm going to get into your minds today when we're thinking about the snares that are in our emotional responses to things. The snares that Satan sets for a person, for you, when you emotionally begin to react and respond to something, how does that become a, a trap to us? Look at verse 41. 16 Still, chapter 16, verse 41. What's the final accusation or charge that Korah makes here? On the next day, all the congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, saying, You have killed the people of the Lord. Did Moses and Aaron, are they the ones to blame for the deaths? Uh, we're talking about the 250, plus Korah and the other two men with him. Did, did Moses kill them? Now think carefully about how you want to answer this question. No, in a sense they killed themselves because they stood up against the Lord's priest and against the Lord's prophet. They literally stood up against the Lord. But now the whole congregation is saying what Korah had been saying. You guys are just putting yourselves up before us now. And you killed these guys. There's a riot on the brink of exploding out here in the desert. And next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about the riot. The people at large here, a, a, a large, large number, are charging... This man, Moses, who I just told you in in, in chapter 12, he's called God's friend and he's called the most humble man that there ever was. But now he's being accused of killing hundreds of people. Wow. How did this happen? Well, the next question, or the next line of thought here in this is the question... Could Korah be us? Could Korah be us? Now remember, the Old Testament is meant to point you and I to Christ and to redemption. The Old Testament characters are individuals in history, but these stories and these people are always types and figures. Of things that are meant to help you and I understand the gospel. That helps us understand redemption. It helps us understand lostness and salvation. And so I asked the question: could Korah and those people be us? Could Korah and these people be us? Now, you and I know Satan is always opposed to God, right? Satan's work, his Thinking, his, his activities are opposed to God. And generally we find it it's in regard to God's words. You and I know God has said this or that. And when Satan speaks, his words are meant to counter God's words. The, the conflict is most evident around God's word versus Satan's word. This is where the, the the conflict is most evident, and that is because the words of God always point men to righteousness. It point men to their their knowledge of a need of a savior. By the time the gospel is finally revealed, right? God's words point people to peace with God. God's words point people to righteousness. Satan's most Famous words are what? Can you remember what his most famous words are? And it's in Genesis chapter 3. What's his most famous words? Did God really say? Did God really say? Is what his first question to Eve. Now, the Lord Jesus, when he is finally arrived to planet Earth in time. One of the things that Christ says is that I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. And nobody comes to the Father except for by me. Those are the words of God to point you to the Redeemer, point you to Christ, to point you to know how to direct your mind and your heart. But Satan would take those words and he would change them. He would change your confidence in them. He would change your knowledge of them. His way of speaking is always did God really say? Is Christ really the way? Is God's way really the only way? Is God's righteousness really the only righteousness? Is God's priest really really the priest? Come on. Don't be so narrow. Satan's words are always meant and intended to undermine God's words. So I believe one thing we observe in this story when we're thinking about Satan's devices, Satan's methods, how Satan sets a snare, how Satan meant to deceive and lead people astray. Here with Korah, is a slight. He was slighted. Or he was offended. Or his pride in his heart made a suggestion to himself. His his pride which is in all of us. Our pride is just ready to speak a word to us. Maybe Korah's pride made some kind of suggestion to himself. He had something begin to tick in his mind and in his heart. And that's where it always starts. For for a man who's going to be snared by an emotional response to something God is doing in our world or doing around us, some emotional response. Satan teaches men how to be offended. He teaches men how to be personally gratified. He teaches men how to trust or to believe in their own personal opinions and justifications in distinction, in this case, to Moses and Aaron. In other words, as Korah contemplated his world that day, he didn't agree with Moses and Aaron. He didn't like how Moses and Aaron were leading them. And, And here's the snare. The ideas in Korah's mind start to take traction. Korah becomes more and more confident so that his challenge to Moses and Aaron is out loud. He begins to call them out and charge them with wrong. Are you going to put their eyes out now, Moses? Are you going to murder some more people now, Moses? See how his his thoughts, which... How do it started as little ones become bigger? The little seed becomes a plant and a flower. It gets bigger. It gets stronger in the mind and heart of Korah. When Satan sets a snare like this, you will find in your own heart at times that God's very words are offensive to you. Have you ever read God's words in, in the Scriptures and gone, wow, I just, I can't handle that. That's offensive to me. The, the poor guy on the Sabbath was just picking up a little bit of kindling and you're going to kill him? Was that a little bit offensive to you when we read that? Was your, was your little heart saying, wow, that's a little extreme, don't you think? How does that happen that our hearts sit in the place of judge and and evaluate God's words and say, "Wow, God's a little bit over the top there." You see how that works. You see how your heart will have to deal with a thing like that. Maybe every time you open your Bible and read it, you might read some things and you're like, "Wow, that's I, I just can't handle that. This is a snare." This is a snare and and you and I have a responsibility to recognize these things and then to learn how to respond by faith to them when these when these emotional responses come out against the Lord and his word we need to realize that these are potential traps for us It's possible Cora believed that he would have been a, a more merciful priest It's possible Korah believed that he would be a better priest because he wouldn't be as harsh and murderous as Moses and Aaron. But he was literally setting himself up against God to entertain those thoughts. You know, Korah didn't need to hear Satan speak one word for him to think like that. He did not need to hear Satan tempt him to do that. Why? Because these thoughts are in our heads. It's in us to be offended. But these these ways of thinking, Satan just plants in the world all around us. You could, you could turn on the news today and find somebody saying, agreeing with God's word that homosexual marriage is against the will of God. You could find that in a public marketplace of ideas today. And most of the people in the world are now offended by that. This is this simple, biblical language that God made a man to marry a woman and vice versa. The world feels free to to throw out their offenses against God like it's nothing. Like each man has the right to make his own opinions about all these things. Romans 3.13. Listen to what it says about the natural condition of all men. Romans 3.13. This is a really, really valuable insight. It says, Their throat is an open tomb with their tongues they practice deceit. That's all men. Romans 3.13 All men have tongues that practice deceit. How many of you have never lied? How many of you have lied more than once because you had to practice it after you lied the first time? Practice Deceit. Are you a liar like me? I mean, are you ashamed to say what we want to say is, well, I've only lied a few times. Or I only lie white lies. Lies of omission, lies of objective deception. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they practice deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness? Does your mouth curse sometimes? I used to, when I, when I was a young Christian, I, would, I, I I could invent these phrases or I, I'd heard these phrases that were funny and they weren't bad words to me until a pastor told me one day, he goes, you know, this phrase that you say is just like this other phrase that's foul and coarse and offensive to God, but the reason that you word it the way you say it is because you don't you don't want to say the bad thing. We have phrases like that, you know. Like some people are happy and easily are going to say O-M-G, right? Because they don't want to say the phrase if they're a little bit tender-hearted toward the Lord. They, they don't want to say the phrase they don't want to take God's name in vain but they can say that part that, that that kind of idea the mouth is full of cursing and bitterness Korah is us okay when we read this this chapter here, we should realize that Korah is a person who has been grabbed by this snare. Something that had gone on in the heart of Korah. And then it went on more and more in the mouth of Korah. And he became more and more trapped in his sin. James 3.6 says, The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire by hell. Now, were Korah's words of complaint against Moses and Aaron and his thoughts about what was wrong with his priesthood, were those words isolated to him? No. Because what I read to you is that this opinion was spread to the entire congregation The entire congregation, a day after this started, come to Moses and Aaron. Now, who are Moses and Aaron? They are the prophet and the priest of God. And the whole congregation has been stirred up against them by a thing that started as a thought in Korah's head and eventually became words probably to Abiram and and Dathan and then spread to those other 250, and then spread to even more. Korah is unhappy with God. Korah is unhappy with the prophet. Korah is unhappy with the priest. Korah is unhappy with the justice of the priest. Romans chapter 1 says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Korah is you and me. Korah is you and me. Standing before the wrath of God. We've been trapped by the snare of these emotional responses to, to what we think about these things. This is a gospel story here. This is a profound gospel story we are reading here. And next week we're going to touch really wonderfully on on, on the most wonderful gospel aspects of it because Aaron is a picture of Christ in this story that we will read in the last part of this chapter. These people who get caught up in this rebellion are you and me. We've got to learn to watch to catch these thoughts of rebellion in our hearts and in our minds that Satan can lure us to feel comfortable in sitting opposed to the Lord. I I think it's so apropos that in the chapter before this man collecting sticks on the Sabbath it seems like such a simple sin, doesn't it? I mean, how many of us wouldn't go and get a few pieces of wood to build a fire to heat up our wood because he had a stomachache the day before? Who knows what it was? Seriously, you guys are going to kill him for that? Are we that easily offended against the justice of God? Well, let's talk about the trap just for a moment or two more. Our our emotion is is like a, it's like an artesian spring. Our, our our emotion really just flows. It just comes out, okay? It it deals with what's fair and what's not fair. When you think something's fair, you have a sense of it. When you think something's not fair, it's just like an automatic response, right? Your, your emotion when you're jealous is automatic. It just comes out of you. You feel it as soon as jealousy begins to come to life in you. Envy is an emotional, mm, right? Pride. Just, mm. I mean, before you even know where it was, it's coming out of us. Emotional responses can almost happen all day long. Right, your, your own concept of your abilities and your sufficiency your, you know how to do that thing that they don't know how to do right and you watch somebody doing something stupid because you know how to do it and, and I don't know the spectrum of professions and skills in this room but no matter what your skill is no matter what your profession is, no matter what you're good at in your hobby. When you see somebody else doing it wrong, very often you're like, what a knucklehead. I can't believe they don't know how to do it right. Or maybe you have other kinds of words you, uh, you, you, you ponder on for a nanosecond. But you and I, if you know who Christ is, if if the Spirit of God has regenerated you and has given life to you, we are warned to watch out for these things that become a trap. These things become a trap when your emotion responds, when your flesh responds. They are a trap designed to ensnare you. 2 Timothy 2.26 refers to of people, a group of people who have been taken captive by an idea. It says, 2 Timothy 2.26 that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. And we're not going to go into deep depth 2 Timothy 2 here but There are ideas that become prevalent and they lead people astray. And Timothy's being taught, don't let them be led astray by their ideas, Timothy. Teach them what's true, that they can escape from that snare so that they can walk in the light of truth. So I was going to ask you, can Satan spurn you on down a wrong road? By someone who knows how to push your buttons. Have you ever had somebody egging you on in some way or another, maybe in your jealousy, in your pride, in your fear? Have you ever found yourself almost like a like like, like a dog chasing a rabbit that you, you can kind of get stuck going after something like that? Maybe it has to do with your resentment. Maybe it has to do with your ambition. Maybe it has to do with your superiority. Have you ever had a boss? I was thinking about this a week or two ago with the guys. Have you ever had a boss who recognizes somebody else at work and they don't recognize you? The boss recognizes somebody else's skills. The boss recognizes somebody else handled a hard situation well and they ignore you. And you want to get recognized the way they were recognized because you're better than them. You're like, why don't you ever say that to me? Why don't you ever recognize me? And we, we begin to feel sorry for ourselves. We want that recognition. And then it's possible... And this boss has been praising Banning because he's so good at this thing. And all of a sudden, I'm starting to hate Banning. And the boss. You see how a little little thing like that gone awry in our hearts turns into our own sin and then all of a sudden starts breaking this relationship and starts breaking that relationship because I didn't deal with it in my heart. And in my head, Your heart has to guard against resentment. Your heart has to guard against bitterness, against pride. Your heart has to guard against the apathy of unbelief. The apathy of unbelief. You should rejoice with those who are praised and and lifted up. And you should endure your own challenges and disappointments as in the Lord. When you're when you're having one of those low, slow periods in your life, let that drive you to the Lord. Don't seek revenge. Trust the Lord to get justice in His time. Don't suggest in your own heart, listen carefully, don't suggest in your own heart, oh, I would have done that so much better if if they had me do it. They screwed up by having Banning do it. They should have me do it. That guy's always a loser. We, we have these quick little complaining. Maybe you don't even use the loser word. Maybe you use something really polite because you're such a good Christian. Don't let your heart go there. The Lord would teach us to guard our hearts. You see, Christian, you and I are like Korah. We are like Korah. We are exactly like Korah. Korah lost it. Korah would not hold back his vain thoughts, his sinful thoughts. He would not restrain his sinful heart. Listen to 2 Corinthians 10.5. Listen to this one. Look it up. Underline it. It's a very, very important verse to a man or a woman who's dealing with these snares that are in our lives. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, Casting down imaginations... Tear them down. Take them down. Imaginations. What's an imagination? It's your thought that you pulled out of thin air. It's something you're you're, you're dreaming about. The demise of your friend at work. Or the great success that you know is yours and that you deserve. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. When your mind starts running away, what are you supposed to do with the runaway thoughts in your heart and in your mind? You catch them. And you put them into submission to Christ. Don't let those things become a snare that turn you into the Korah who accused the priest of murder. Don't do that. Don't, don't struggle with bitterness saying, man, I... Why can't I be the priest? Why can't I have a good job? Why can't I get recognized? I would do it better anyways. Don't do that. Take those thoughts captive. Bring them into the obedience of Christ. Daniel 2.21 Remember this. Trust your low moments to the Lord. And these moments can last years, okay? They're not necessarily moments. Trust your low moments to the Lord. Daniel 2.21, it says, And He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Recognize God's sovereignty at lifting up Those he would lift up and bringing down those he would bring down in his time. Psalm 113 7 and 8. He raises the poor out of the dust, he lifts the needy out of the ash heap that he may seat him with princes, with the princes of his people. Rest in the Lord, trust in the Lord. Don't long to be exalted before it's your time to be exalted. Go low. Walk low in the Lord. Seek the Lord. Seek the mind of the Lord. Don't let those snares turn into bitterness, anger, resentment. Don't let that happen. Go low. James 4.10 Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. Isn't that a good verse? Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. When you are tempted to feel that you're suffering or that you've been offended too much, when you're tempted to feel things aren't fair and things aren't right, you are to put your life in the hands of the Lord. You're to seek the Lord. You're to seek the wisdom of the Lord. Tell your dear friend in the Lord, now this is what Korah should have done. He should have gone to his solid God-fearing friend and say, man, I've just got this sin going on in my heart. I want to confess it to you. I want to trust the Lord with Moses and Aaron. These guys are amazing in their faithfulness to us. What they're doing is hard. I don't know if I could have put that man to death yesterday. Put yourself... In the shoes of Korah and what he should have done. What should Korah have done? What would a believer have done that humbled himself before God? He would have patiently waited for God to bring things to their end. He would have left his life in the hands of the Lord, but he was offended and he was prideful and he was ambitious. And then he began to seek revenge. This passage might not put its finger on you. You might not identify with Korah and and, and the way he did this, but you are Korah. You are a person with a sin nature in you. If you're not a Christian, it, it dominates you and you have no tools to, to bring yourself to the Lord and find strength and hope. You've got no way of dealing with it. But if you're a Christian, if you know Christ, then you confess these things to the Lord and you say, Lord, I need wisdom. I need strength to walk by faith and to trust you, Lord. Make this into something good, Lord. You know what Satan says? He says, keep at it, Fight him. Beat him. You deserve it. You're worth it. Satan encourages you to go after making your own way, making up your own solutions, making up your own God. Satan loves to set that snare for you. Next week, we're going we're gonna to look into this a little bit more. How is it that Aaron is Christ? How is this truly a story of, of the Gospel and the redemption? It's a great ending in this story. Let's close in prayer Thank you, Lord, for these great stories in the Old Testament. Thank you for warning us of the errors of, of, of running away with, uh, with rebellious thoughts and, and, and rebellious hearts toward you, Lord, toward your ways. May we be content, may we be happy in you God, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.